For the past eight weeks, we've been going through the Beatitudes, and we've made it. It's week eight, we're on the last one, and you've hung in there. And throughout this entire series, we kind of used the verse from Romans 12, 2 as kind of the, the framework for understanding all of the Beatitudes. And, and here's what Paul wrote to the church in Rome. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And that really kind of encapsulates our comment of change of view. Now, I had somebody come up to me a few weeks ago going, you know, I, I don't like the title. I said, well, why? Well, I really don't want to change my views. I like my views, and no one else should change my views. So I've been thinking about that for the last couple of weeks, and I thought, you know, if it's just persuasion of another person, eh, maybe you don't want to change your views. But we're really talking about God transforming us, our views, that we would more understand God's view of his creation, understand God's view of my purpose, understand God's view of his plan and what is best for my life. So when we put in that framework, my hope is that we're not going to dig in our heels and go, nope, he ain't changing my view. Because my hope is, if we're followers of Jesus, we've already let him change our view. We've changed our view from, I can do this without God, to, I really do need God. And then the next step is, well, if I really need God, maybe I want to do life God's way. So that's where we're changing our views. The goal is a transformed life that follows Jesus. So throughout this entire series, the key phrase has been, as I follow Jesus, and we filled in the blanks with the Beatitudes, and here they are. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. That was our week one. As I follow Jesus, if I am poor, I know that I need God. We got to the following weeks, and God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. And that's actually two different messages there. But we talked about what does it mean to be humble it's different than being meek as a mouse. It means recognizing my place in God's plan and who God is. And then it's also about letting go of my control and freely giving it to God. God blesses those who are hungry and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. And we talked about thirst for justice, thirst for rightness, that we want to be right with God and, and we want to do life in a right way with God. And God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And, and it's almost in some ways flip-flopped because it's when we understand God's mercy to us, we can then extend mercy to others. And then God bless those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God bless those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. And that was last week. And we talked about being peacemakers and that God took the first step to create peace between us, which leads us to our last beatitude. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And I hope you notice that the word right comes back from an earlier beatitude. 
for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for those who hunger for God doing life God's way, the right way. And now it comes back that, hey, if you are persecuted for doing life God's way, the right way, the kingdom of heaven is yours. So when I think of persecution, these are the images that flash to my mind. Images of Christian refugees from like Iraq or Syria that over a million refugees, men, women, and children, have fled from those nations because of persecution, because of fear for their lives, because their houses have been burned down, because their children are, are possibly going to be stolen from them and sold into slavery. I think of China where they're actively burning down the churches in the country that, that for a while they were kind of letting Christianity go and not being harsh and just kind of, ah, they're not causing trouble. Now they have really kind of taken a hard stand. And they are now ripping out and removing all visible signs of Christianity in China and they're burning down the churches. Or we think of images like this that the Coptic Christians that were beheaded, right? And it made the news that that these 12 men would not renounce their faith and they died for their faith and were beheaded. You know what my problem is? I can, I can hear that and I know it's happening out there, but it really doesn't have a frame of reference point to my own life. I mean, I'm not worried that the Rochester police are going to come in and take me away in handcuffs because I'm following Jesus. I'm not really worried that, you know what, we're going to come to church one Monday or Wednesday morning and the building is going to be burned down, mainly because it's steel. But, but I'm not too worried about it being burned down in general. And I'm not worried about someone killing me because I talk about Jesus. As a matter of fact, I'm a lot more like this gentleman that you're going to hear about right now. Dear God, I'm writing this letter to find out your official policy on persecution. I know that if we are persecuted as Christians, you will bless and reward us in heaven, like wounded soldiers are awarded the Purple Heart. But what about those of us that haven't been persecuted? You don't expect us to go out of our way to do things that will get us persecuted, do you? I've been fortunate enough to be surrounded by Christians in a country where Christianity is legal, so I've never really experienced any kind of persecution, which is fine with me. But I wanted to make sure that you don't need me to be bolder in my faith or to go on mission trips to dangerous lands, or smuggle Bibles into China, or anything like that. Should I feel guilty, or be grateful for my lack of persecution? Sincerely, not persecuted in North Dakota. The reality is, for me, it could have just said Rochester, Minnesota, couldn't it? I mean, that's our experience. That's our reference point. I mean, so what is persecution? Because it really isn't something most of us in our lives experience. Persecution is hostility and ill treatment, especially because of race, political, or religious beliefs. In other words, that you are physically or physically mistreated, or there's hostility to you, or harm done to you because of those things. And we're really talking about religious beliefs. 
that because I follow Jesus, because I talk about Jesus, I really don't experience any persecution. I don't fear any oppression. You know, the worst thing that happens to me is, man, the guy at Caribou screwed up my dark hot chocolate and gave me a mocha. You know, that's, that's my life. I don't feel suffering like this. But we have to remember a couple things about the church and about our faith. Jesus was persecuted. I mean, we think about Jesus was, yes, beaten and he was taken to the cross and he died, but he was persecuted prior to that. The religious leaders hated him. They looked for excuses to punish him. They looked for ways to demean him. They mocked him. They made fun of him. He was persecuted. Trust me, they hated him. The early church was persecuted. As soon as the church started to form, it was persecuted first by the Jews and then by the Roman Empire. All of the disciples are martyred. For 300 years, Christianity is banned and outlawed as a religion. And during that 300 years, they used all kinds of forms to persecute, punish Christianity, from putting them in jail to having them be crucified, to finally putting them into the arena to be eaten by lions or slaughtered by gladiators. But Christianity, from its very beginning, has faced persecution. So here's an obvious question, since you know where I'm going. What faith has experienced the most persecution in the past two years? So this data comes actually from the International Society for Human Rights. It's based out of Italy. It is a secular organization. It has no ties to, to our faith, but their conclusion was it's Christianity. In the past two years, overwhelmingly, Christianity has been the most persecuted faith on a worldwide basis, more than any other faith. 80% of all religious freedom violations occur against Christians. Isn't that amazing? Approximately 70 million Christians have died since the start of the church. And when I say died, I don't mean from natural cause. I mean they were killed since the start of the church. 70 million. Amazingly, 35 million, half, have died in the last 200 years. So in the first 1,800 years of Christianity, 35 million have died. In the last 200, 35 million have died. And here is the staggering fact. Every 10 minutes, two Christians die for their faith for the past decade. Which means that by the time I'm finished teaching today, another 12 followers of Jesus will have been put to death for their faith. Now, I can read those stats, and you can hear those stats, but there's a little disconnect, isn't there? It's just not our experience. I mean, I don't even know what to say at times to this topic. I'll, I'll tell you that. I have a level of ignorance. I haven't known anyone that's gone through that kind of persecution. I've never experienced it. I've never seen it. And, and I'm guessing most of us fall in that arena. So we're fortunate enough to have someone with us tonight that has actually been there and done that. And I'm going to invite Jim Eunice to come and join me up here.
And he doesn't realize, but he's going to get grilled by me for a few minutes. And uh, Jim, thanks for coming up, and, and thanks for doing this. So, and we'll see how this goes. Okay, how's that? Um, but Jim, you've uh, been overseas quite a few mm-hmm. times, and, and you've worked with some organizations that, that are really on the front lines of, of dealing with persecution. Yep. So tell us a little bit about that, of, of who you worked with or where you were working, if you can. Sure. It's a ministry called Voice of the Martyrs, uh, VOM, we refer to it. Very unusual ministry, um, an unusual task. Basically, VOM goes to where persecution happens, to the hot spots, um, on the front line, on the bleeding edge um, of where Christians are persecuted for their faith. And the ministry is equipped to take care of the survivors, the families, um, to help them in practical ways. And also, uh, it's a journalistic organization, uh, more or less as a conduit, so that people here, for instance, can hear about, anywhere in the world can hear about Christians who have been persecuted, see real faces, hear real stories, find out about what's going on, and then in the reverse direction, provide funding and practical hands-on help. I was the uh, volunteer medical director for VOM for six years. And uh, so I was uh, a very small subset of VOM, but that put me right in the hot spots to meet the people who were uh, the survivors, their families. And it was very intimate. It was very um, up close and personal. Each one of these over the years, that ended up being many hundreds of, uh, of victims and, and families and patients. You touch with your hands. You pray with them. In my, in my case, because I'm a physician, I would examine them, take their histories. We would sometimes get them from dangerous places to safer places, take them to hospitals where we knew that um, the, the surgery would be competent, would be capable, and then also pay for their care. And these things happen to people in parts of the world where... Many of the Christians are impoverished. They don't have money for medical care. So even, even that was, um, uh, was a huge blessing for them. Mm-hmm. So one of the hot spots that you were in was in, in Nigeria. Yes. And uh, for all those of us, it's, it's Africa. And one of the groups that was doing the persecuting there mm-hmm. was uh, Boko Haram, right? So tell me a little bit about that. Uh, sure. What's happening in Nigeria or what's been happening? Sure. Um, I took over this role in about 2009, and Boko Haram, uh, my time with VOM coincided almost exactly with Boko Haram's ascendancy to what would eventually become the world's largest terrorist organization. They didn't get as much uh, play as as ISIS in the Middle East, but in terms of number of lives lost, people killed, people hurt, Boko Haram killed more and hurt more than even ISIS, and many of them were Christians. Their locus of operations uh, was mostly in northern Nigeria, uh, northern Cameroon, and Chad, in in that area. So did they have a religious affiliation themselves, or were they just militant? No, they certainly did. It was was a Muslim terrorist organization. They were motivated not for economic reasons, but they wanted to establish their own caliphate, if you will, and um, either convert people or, or kill them. It was a very, um, uh, a very simple uh, marching order for them, if you will. Okay. So, so there are two people that you came in contact with that really kind of mm-hmm. really left a, a mark on your life. And uh, the first, I think, was this young lady here, Monica. Tell us a little, a little bit about sure. her. Sure. 
Um, there's so many. I, you know, I could talk to you all night long about with and, real faces. And I'm gonna make it turn names. that way because they're out there. I don't sure. need to see you. <laughs> the um, um, Monica is one of the most memorable patients uh, uh, that I had or, or victims. Monica lived in Maiduguri. You can see that highlighted in the north, the far northeast of Nigeria. Maiduguri was the birthplace of Boko Haram, and when they first came into to their uh, powers, uh, military power, they took over the city. So there were riots, um, military actions, a lot of killing, a lot of bloodshed. Uh, Monica's husband, they were both Christians, was a police officer in Maduguri and a Christian. So he had two targets on him, if you will. And she was an um, active church attender and sang in the choir, uh, evidently had a very beautiful voice. Well, when the riots started and Boko Haram began to take over the city and began to kill people in very large numbers, Monica and her husband got on a motorbike and he tried to get her to safety. And where he tried to take her was to a military compound where they would be safe. Unfortunately, they took a wrong turn. They went down the wrong street. They ran into a, a group of Boko Haram militants who stopped them, pulled them off the bike, queried them as they often do, and gave them the opportunity to recant their faith in Christ. They wouldn't do it. Um, so her husband was literally beheaded, literally, in front of Monica. Um, they then turned their attention to her, and they were obviously Christians. The Boko Haram militants knew that. Um, but they went beyond that and began rifling through their possessions and, and talking to them and threatening her now. Her husband was dead. And they found a hymnal in her purse, and that just enraged them. That was a symbol of everything that they despised, that they hated. And uh, so they, they attempted to kill Monica. They slashed her across the throat with a machete, uh, and threw her down into a ditch beside the road for dead. And uh, thankfully, they missed uh, her blood vessels, her internal jugular veins, and her carotid arteries. They did slash through her trachea, her windpipe, and her esophagus. Monica had the presence of mind to play dead, basically, to lay in the ditch till the militants were gone for two days until the rioting ended. She then emerged from the, from the ditch, having been severely injured but still alive, um, and made her way eventually to help and made her way eventually to us. So we got her to uh, safe places, to good doctors. She had multiple, multiple operations. And I don't know if you can see in the picture, she has a trach collar, as we call it, a tracheostomy collar. She now has a permanent tracheostomy. She can speak, but her voice is very raspy, uh, which is a shame because, again, she was a choir singer. Monica also makes dresses. The one she's wearing uh, is one of her own handmade dresses. She makes beautiful dresses. She's a beautiful young woman. I wish the picture did her more justice than this, and a very, very gentle soul. Uh, as a widow, she also had now a young son named John. And even after all this, we helped to relocate her to a safer place, and she set up another dress shop to make a living. And VOM helped her with that also. And... Um, even that place and a subsequent um, um, uh, attack by Boko Haram was burnt down. They burnt down her dress shop. She wasn't hurt. Her son John wasn't hurt. So we've been helping her to rebuild her life. Okay, good. And then we have one more gentleman here that... Uh, yeah. Uh, Habila? Habila. Um, Habila is also one of my favorite patients. Habila is a very simple man. Uh, he doesn't have much by way of education. It's typical of a lot of the Christians in Nigeria. I suppose if you queried their theology, it's very thin. 
doesn't go very deep, their, their study and understanding of Christian theology. But where it counts, dying for your faith, being willing to die for your faith, and being forgiving, um, that's where they get it right. Habilit was a tricycle driver, a taxi driver. It's a three-wheeled motorized cab driver, and also in the far north of, of Nigeria, um, uh, called Potiskum. And Habila was um, uh, in the wrong place at the wrong time, in some sense. Uh, Boko Haram again came and, and took over his village. So former neighbors would point out where the Christians lived, and three Boko Haram members came into his house, where he had um, a wife and two children. They forced Habila to his knees and put an AK-47 to his head and told him to say the Shahada, to convert to Islam, to recant his faith. Uh, he refused to do it. They asked him again. He refused again. They asked him a third time. They actually really wanted him to convert. They would have preferred that he convert, apparently, than to kill him, um, but he wouldn't. So three separate occasions in front of his wife, in front of his children, and they said to him, we, if you convert, we'll leave you to your family. Um, you'll be alive for your family. That's what was at stake. And he said no three times. So they shot him. That, that's a um, reconstructive CT on the left of Fabilla's um, injuries. Shot him point blank in the face with an AK-47, a small entry wound, and blasted his mandible out the opposite side uh, and left him for dead. Then they left. His wife nursed him as best she could, put pressure on the wound, kept him overnight because it wasn't safe to, uh, to leave. And uh, the next morning got him to help. He eventually got into our hands again, and we provided for his care and his medical care, and have since relocated Habila and his family. Uh, Habila was actually brought by VOM to the United States for a short time, and he testified before Congress about the persecution of Christians abroad. And that was very eye-opening for members of our Congress. That's, again, something they hear about, but they didn't really believe. You see a real person, hear a real story like this. But um, Habila is, again, one of the kindest, gentlest people I've ever met, just an astonishing um, and strong, strong Christian. So, so hearing the stories and, and you being over there, it makes, me, it makes me ask the question. So you come back to Rochester. Mm -hmm. You come back and you work at the Mayo Clinic. We have nice houses, we have nice cars and, and everything. How, how does seeing that, and, and one of the things you mentioned was both of those people afterwards um, forgave those who had hurt them and wounded them and yes. tried to kill them. How does, that, how does that impact you, how the way you walk with Jesus after seeing that and experiencing that kind of moment? Well, it's astonishing. It's an astonishing privilege that you, you meet people. And again, Habila and Monica are two of hundreds um, that I touched, talked to, really got to know over the years, many, many people. Um, the astonishing thing to me, their, their, their faith in terms of the courage to have somebody put a knife to your throat or your families and, and, and to refuse to um, denounce your faith, to denounce Christ, that I kind of expected to see. I kind of knew that was going to be part of this work. Mm -hmm. The part that I didn't expect to see was the forgiveness. And I would oftentimes ask these these victims of persecution, what would you what would you say to the guys or the guy who did this to you or your family if they caught them and brought them here? And they all said the same thing, almost reflexively. They said, um, I would forgive them. And they would almost wonder, they would say this in a way that they're wondering why I would even ask. Mm -hmm. That, to me, as, as an American Christian, 
um, uh, is, is a harder thing to understand, but they, they were very, very consistent in that. They had the forgiveness of Christ. In any case, you're privileged to be the conduit, as I said, between American Christians. I got to tell them, look, I'm lucky. I'm, I'm the, the guy who gets to represent thousands of Christians all over the world who know what you're going through or are going to know, and they pray for you, and they're also providing money for your medical care or for your living. But you need to know that there are thousands, many thousands, of Christians around the world who care about you this way, this practical way. So I was in the privileged position of being able to be the hands and feet, basically delivering other people's gifts. Um, the conduit in the opposite direction, though, you're kind of like a, a wire, a live wire, and there's a current going through you. And as you might imagine, it, it changes you. It just does. You'll never be the same. Um, and uh, you come home. Um, and it is like an emotional body slam. Uh, you, you, um, these are heartbreaking um, stories. Mm -hmm. The people, you, you love them, but they also break your heart. And uh, you'll, you just, uh, you're not the same again. No. And I think, I think probably in a good way. But I would tell people who go, this is a very unusual ministry, um, by all means. It's not everyone's cup of tea. You really need to be called to it. But um, I don't care how... Uh, balanced you think you are, uh, this will unbalance you. You, you, will, you will be moved. You have a scripture text here that I want to read. Uh, Hebrews 13.3 Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own body. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right for the kingdom of heaven is there. What we're going to do is just uh, take a moment right now and, uh, and we're going to remember, we're going to pray for, for those believers there in parts of the world that are facing severe persecution. You know, there are brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and we're just going to take a moment to pray for them um, and, and ask God to give them strength. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for, for you being in the midst of wherever we live whatever we are experiencing. And God, we pray right now for those who are experiencing persecution, for our brothers and sisters in Christ that, that don't know what will happen tomorrow. We pray that you would give them strength. We pray that you'd give them peace. We pray that you'd give them courage, that, that they would not renounce their faith, that they would finish the race and, and honor you. And God, we, we ask that you would help us investigate how we might um, support them, encourage them, um, and be a part of the whole world church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Jim. That was really helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Good. All right. So, have you ever heard someone yell, I'm being persecuted? I'm, whoops. That slipped a slide there on me somewhere. Never mind. But have you ever heard someone say, I'm being persecuted? And then you go, why? Well, and it's something really inane. I'm being persecuted because, well, because I didn't get to have chocolate ice cream today. Really? Or someone say, I'm being oppressed. In my house, this has been said by one of my children. I won't say who. But, you know, I'm being oppressed and you're oppressing me. No, I'm just asking you to do your homework. It's really not oppression. Okay. 
I'm just asking you to go cut the lawn. It's not oppression, all right? But here's the reality. For most of us, as followers of Jesus, we don't experience persecution. We don't feel oppression. What I would say most of us, many of us might feel is pressure. And we could say, I'm being pressured to be silent over moral choices that are being made in our culture. That, that I've read my Bible and I, and I know I think what God wants and what God says is right, and, but I'm being pressured to be silent and not say anything because of peer pressure or because it's not politically correct or because it may cost me their friendship if I share what I really believe about my faith, right? So we feel a pressure to be silent. And I'm sure you understand it. I've experienced it when I'm out with friends when I'm golfing. Now, there's two ways I experience it. One of them I intentionally do, and the other one it's because I feel I should be silent. But but when you're out golfing, you start hanging out with these other guys, and you start talking about life. And, and eventually, I'll, you know, once in a while I'll go out as a single, which means I get to be with three strangers. And as we're playing golf, they'll say, you know, so what do you guys, what do you do for a living? And we'll talk, you know, oh, I'm an architect, or, oh, you know, hey, I lurk at Mayo. And, and when they get around to me, I usually do one of two things. If I feel like, oh, man, these guys are going to be super uncomfortable if I tell them I'm a pastor. I bail out and go, oh, I'm a teacher, which is still the truth. I'm a teacher. I teach every week. And that's because I don't want them to get weird. Because you know what happens? When they find out you're a pastor, all of a sudden their language takes a course to the right. They're not telling any jokes anymore. Two, two holes ago, you guys are telling jokes. Now, now you're not telling jokes anymore. You know, and then it gets really weird. They're like, oh, well, pastor, you should go first. <laughs> what? No, the guy with the best score always goes first. It's not right. So it just gets weird and funky. So sometimes I'll say I'm a, I'm a teacher because I don't want them to get weird. But then there's the other times when I say I'm a teacher because I just, I don't know how they're going to respond. And I don't, and I don't trust myself to go, well, I'm a pastor of the church in Rochester. And I feel pressured to be silent. And maybe you've been there too. You know, or, or the thought of don't make waves. Just don't make waves. Stay in your lane. You know, you have your faith, which is super awesome. And these people have their faith, which is super awesome. And these people have their faith or no faith. And just, can't everybody just be happy? You know, can't we all just get along? And, and, and don't, don't make waves. Or also in the workplace, you know, overlooking work ethics. When you go, hey, I know what we're doing as a business may be on the borderline of either unethical or illegal. Do you put your head down, look the other way? Do you say something because of your faith? What do you do? Are you pressured to just go along with it? Hey, that's just the culture of this company. Just get over it. And yeah, but... But man, honoring God, I don't think I can. Well, shush. Or don't talk about your faith. 
And I have found this to be true in Rochester. That, that you can talk about a lot of faiths, but in many ways, Christianity gets marginalized. And, and just don't talk about that Jesus guy. If you talk about Jesus, you know, we're going to have to write you up. If you talk about Jesus, we're not going to want to hang out with you anymore. No, it's not that if I talk about Jesus, I'm going to be put to death. But I'm going to be marginalized or ostracized. Have you experienced that? See, I think that's what we experience as the church in the United States. A pressure to just lay low, be quiet, and get along. And don't tell anybody else that, hey, what they're doing might not be okay with God. Whoa, 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 whoa. Who are you to tell me it's not okay? Where do you get off, Mr. Righteousness? Right? So the question is, well, what can we do? What can we do when we feel that pressure? And, and I want to take you to just three thoughts. The first is, we should be prepared. And what I mean by that is we should be prepared for people to oppose our faith. We should not be surprised when people get ruffled by us talking about Jesus. We should not be surprised when we start talking about, hey, you know what, God has a way to do life in relationships, and, and I think he has an order to it, and, and oh, whoa, easy there, mister. You're stepping on toes now. Hey, I think God has a plan for how I handle my finances. Hey, just you use your money. It's okay. And when we have those conversations with people, they're going to respond. You know why? Because we're trying to do life God's way, and, and if you're not trying to do life God's way, then there's going to be some conflict, isn't there? We're going to rub against each other. For In First Peter, Peter's writing to the church, and and they were experiencing persecution. And they must have written him a letter earlier saying, hey, what's the deal? We're following Jesus and life is really hard. We're following Jesus and man, people are going to jail. We're following Jesus and people are being put to death. What is the deal, Peter? And he writes this back to them. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. I mean, just think about that moment. Don't be surprised. Man, it's part of the deal, is what he's telling them. Jesus was persecuted, put to death. The disciples are being put to death all over the place. Why would you think you're special? Don't be surprised if you face opposition, if you face pressure, because I follow Jesus. Let me give you another thought. What can we do? We can be glad. And that seems like a strange thing to say, doesn't it? Hey, be glad if people are just against you for your faith. Now, be glad if you lose your job because you're following Jesus. That sounds crazy talk. And yet, it's exactly what Peter wrote in the next statement. He said, don't be surprised by these trials. And then he says this, Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory. 
Now, not be happy, but be glad. In other words, people are identifying you with Jesus. Remember what I said, as I follow Jesus? In other words, people are noticing, hey, you follow Jesus. And we don't like it. It's a compliment is what he's really saying. Be glad that they are noticing you are living in a different way. Be glad that you are pursuing righteousness and it's noticeable. So that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you're insulted because you near the name of Christ, you will be blessed for the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. In other words, hey, if they are hassling you, pressuring you, because you follow Jesus, go, all right, I'm getting it done. I'm doing it. I must be walking with Jesus. But then he tells them one more thing. Be wise. Be wise. And, and here's what he writes. If you suffer, however... It must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. But it's no shame to suffer for being a Christian. In other words, if you bring on suffering just because you're making unwise choices, if you are suffering just because of bad decision-making, that's on you. That's not a Jesus thing. All right? But if you're suffering because of your faith, take heart. Because it means you're following Jesus. He closes with this. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. In other words, hey, they're noticing I'm a Christian. Man, that's awesome. That's what our life is supposed to be about. That they are taking notice. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sort of evil things against you. Because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. Those two verses aren't actually in the Beatitudes. They come directly after it. After blessed are you who are persecuted... These instructions come from Jesus in the next paragraph. Be very glad. It sounds like Peter, doesn't it? He just got done saying, be glad. Now you read it from Jesus' own lips. Be happy, be glad. And the key is for a great reward awaits you in heaven. That no matter what they do to us here, it can't take away our eternal life. Yeah, we could lose our jobs for following Jesus. You know, things could change in our country. In 1930, Time magazine went over to Germany and interviewed Hitler because he was doing amazing things in Germany. After World War I, it was devastated. He came and they were rebuilding the nation. They were putting their economy back in place. And Time magazine said, this man is going places. They had no idea that within a decade he would be the cause of millions dying and being persecuted. We have no idea what the future holds. 
but we should be ready to live out our faith no matter what. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. We shouldn't be surprised by persecution. So, let me ask again, what can we do? It's be faithful. Be faithful, just walk with Jesus. Stand up under the pressure as you follow Jesus. And here's what we need to remember. We need to remember who we are. We have to remember, I am, I am yours, God. Whatever happens, I'm secure. I know my future and who I belong to. And I know what you've done because you've loved me. Today we're going we're gonna to wrap up in something either super old school or super new school. Old school, for those of you that might be in my age range, it's called a unison reading. Super new school for our church kids because they've never done one. Um, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to read through together the Beatitudes as we wrap up. We're going to read one at a time and after each one, I'm going to take a pause for a brief moment and pray. And that might be the one of the Beatitudes that right now God is working in your life on. And, and you might just want to take a few moments and pray, and then we'll move on to the next Beatitude. And, and we're just going to finish the service hearing it like the followers of Jesus did that day. You know, they heard all eight at one time in one sitting. So we're going to do that this morning and then just take a moment for prayer. So join me. You get to talk and talk out loud here, and I hope this goes well. All right? But Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Together, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God, we pray for those in this room right now who are poor in spirit. They're facing poverty relationally, poverty spiritually, even poverty financially. God, we pray for them. We ask them that you would bless them, that they would know they need you desperately and lean into you. The second beatitude. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God, tonight we pray for those who have lost loved ones, who've lost relationships. God, we pray that they would feel your peace, your comfort, and your love. Third beatitude. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God, we pray that we would be people that live out humility, knowing who we are in relationship to you. Not more of ourselves or less of ourselves than who you've called us to be. God, for some of us, it is fighting down pride and letting go. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, 
for they will be satisfied. God, we pray for those who, who live out and desire justice. God, we pray for ourselves that we would live out righteousness, that we would pursue being right with you and right with others. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God, we pray today that we would be people of mercy, that we would be people that give forgiveness, that out of your great mercy to us, out of your great forgiveness to us, we might be able to express that love, that mercy, that forgiveness to others. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God, we pray for pure hearts, for pure minds, that we would seek your ways. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God, our desire is for peace in relationships, for peace with you, God, that we would know that, experience it. God, we thank you for your son dying on the cross to bring peace to us. And finally, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God, we pray for those in the world today they're experiencing persecution. God, we pray that you would give them courage, you would give them peace, you would give them heart and comfort and a boldness to hang on to their faith. God, we pray for ourselves that, that we would not bail out and back out when we get to tough moments of owning our faith right here at home. We pray all these things in Christ's name. 